0: Well, good morning, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. My name's Michael. I'm one of the pastors. And if this is your very first time, whether you're joining us here in a worship center, you're out in the patio, or maybe even online, a special welcome. I just want to call your attention to one thing too before we go into our time of teaching. I was going to do this at the end of the service, but you know how that is. You start turning me off and getting ready to go. And, uh, and so I just want to make you aware that you know, obviously Christmas weekend, next weekend, you're clear on that. But, but what you may not be clear, and even though we've mentioned it two or three times, is that the weekend after Christmas, we're kicking off a brand new series for the new year. It's a three-week series. It's called Greater Things. You have this inside your program. And so I just want you to be really aware of that because I think that uh, the weekend after Christmas uh, is often sort of we have that Christmas hangover. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't mean alcohol. I just mean the whole events. And it's easy just to like stay home and like, oh, we'll just phone it in. Maybe we'll turn up. But this is a really important week to kick off the new year together uh, with this three-week series. So I want to encourage you to just kind of get in the mindset now that uh, next week we're here in Christmas, and then next week we'll kick off the, the, uh, the new year, get ready for the new year with the new season, all right? Our new series. So hey, we're going to go into our time of teaching. For those of you who are here, you probably heard, uh, Joel may have mentioned, but inside your program is a green and white message note sheet. Uh, for those of you joining us online, you also have available in three different formats. You either click at the top or bottom for it says message notes and uh, link up, and you can get that down on your tablet or your uh, printer or whatever. But if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. So Father, we're just excited to be here in your house on your day. And uh, Father, as we come today, we, we come to talk about an incredibly important topic, this topic of faith, kind of what it is, what it isn't, um, how it grows in our life, how it unleashes your, your power in our life, why that is. And so, Father, we pray as we, we come to the end of one year, we're getting ready for the start of the new, that today you would really give us some vision for that new year, what our next step in this journey of faith with you is. We pray this in your name, and everyone said, amen. 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 Well, our story starts today in the south of the country. Um, this is where they've been living for some time. It's a desert area. And uh, on this particular day, uh, he receives an assignment. And uh, it comes as a surprise. Um, the orders are extremely severe, uh, but they're also very clear. And so he doesn't, he doesn't share it with any, anyone on his team. He, he feels like this is a needs-to-know sort of assignment. Um, it's just safer that way. It's, it's just better that way. But uh, the next morning, he gathers up his team, and he begins to lead them out. And the first couple of days uh, are uneventful, which for him is, is great. It's like it's what he's hoped for. But on the third day, um, they approach their destination, and no one team they still don't know where they're going, what they're doing. When they arrive at the pointed spot, um, he, he leaves most of them in the dark, but he motions to one uh, to go with him, and they begin their final ascent um, on a day that they will never forget for the rest of their lives. Well, today we're continuing this series that we've been in for quite a while now. It's called The Gospel of God. And for those who are brand new, special welcome. Uh, I always like to take just a minute or two at the top, kind of a quick review so that we're all up to speed. Uh, this series is called The Gospel of God. And it's, it's based on uh, kind of an in-depth study of one of the, the greatest letters ever written in the history of the world. I mean, most influential when I say that. And it's, it's part of the second part. It's included in the second part of our, our Bible. It's a part we call the New Testament. It was (laughs) written by one of the great leaders of the early movement of Jesus. His name is Paul, or we call him the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to a group of Jesus followers. They live in the capital of the Roman Empire in the city of Rome itself. It's about a million people strong at this point. Uh, He's planning to come and visit them in the near future. And so he's kind of introducing himself. And so we call this the letter to the Romans. And in his very introductory line of the letter, he, he introduces a key topic, which he calls the gospel of God. This kind of epic, big-picture story of God's rescue mission of our race that kind of culminates and centers in the life and the death and the resurrection of the Messiah. And so if you've been with us in this series, today we come to the end of chapter 4, the final passage of chapter 4, which is not only the end of chapter 4, it's the final passage in this first major section of the letter, it starts in the middle of chapter one and goes to the end of chapter four. And so if you have your Bibles, you have your apps, let's go ahead and open up, turn on there in your note sheet. <clears throat> There's a section called the gospel of God, uh, Abraham, <clears throat> the case study. <clears throat> now, let me, before we jump into our passage, let me set it up. Not only this final, final passage of chapter four, but kind of where it stands in this, this whole first section, the end of this whole first section. So what we've learned Is Paul, kind of like a prosecuting attorney, in this first section of the letter has been laying out the case against the human race. And his case is that, that we've all rebelled against the truth about God that God has revealed to us in our own way, whether Jews or Gentiles, because we don't like what it requires, we don't like what it reveals, and we've kind of made ourselves our own gods, we've created gods in our own image, and as a result, we as a race are all under the judgment, or what Paul calls the wrath of God. And so in chapter three, then he entered, this is why Messiah came, to be what he calls the atoning sacrifice for our sins, so that we can be forgiven and restored to our relationship with God, not based on our performance, not based on our spiritual resume, but based on what Jesus has done for us. And then when he moves into chapter four, he says, hey, this way of relationship with God, this way that's a... A way of, of based on faith, not on our performance it 's nothing new it 's kind of a way God has always worked with his people. And to illustrate this, he goes back in chapter Four to the lives of, of israel's two of great israel's two of their greatest leaders, uh, Abraham, the father of the race, and then to King David the greatest king, to show how their lives illustrate and model this and so the last few weeks we 've been in chapter four and Paul has taken us back to the life of Abraham and to two key events in the life of Abraham, one that happens in chapter 15 of Genesis, one that happens in chapter 17. And so you may remember that, that God calls Abraham to leave his homeland and his, father, his, his extended family when he's 75, and sometime in the next 10 years, his first event happens in Genesis 15. And remember that one of the promises is that from you will come a great nation, but He's even when God first calls him, he's 75, his wife's 65. They've never been able to have kids. And so this is going to require a miracle. And so now we're, you know, somewhere in the next 10 years and God appears to him again and he takes him outside. They still don't have a son. And he takes him outside on a starry night. And he says, look at, the, look at the stars in the sky. As many as those stars, that's how many of your descendants are going to be. And then there's this statement that's made that's a critical statement in the history of our story, the whole Bible. It comes in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. It's there in your note sheet. We talked about it last week. It says, so Abraham believed the Lord. He trusted what God said. He, he said, you're going to have a kid. I, I trusted him. And it says, and God credited it to him, almost like accounting, a it's an accounting term. He credited it to him as righteousness. So So way back here in Genesis 15, we talked about this last week, when he's somewhere between that 75 and 85, he trusts God for this promise that he will have a kid, even though it's impossible, humanly speaking. And God says, I'm gonna credit that as righteousness, not based on your performance, not based on your resume, but because you're trusting in me, right? The second event happens uh, 15, 20 years later, he's now 99 years old, happens in Genesis chapter 17. God appears to him again. He's now 99 years old. It's been almost 25 years since the initial promise. He still doesn't have a child. And this time, God says, not only are you going to have a son, not only are you will be the father of a nation, you're going to be a father of many nations. And it's at this point in time that God gives him a sign, a seal, remember, like a wedding ring of that promise, the gift of circumcision, the sign of circumcision. And then there on your note sheet, I put this verse, but it's the wrong verse. Actually, it's partly right, and partly I left out a verse. But uh, this is how, when God makes that promise to be the father of many nations, it says, Abraham fell face down. And God said to him, and what he said, if we had the right verse, is that you're going to be called the father of many nations. And so he, he increased the promise. And again, Abraham trusted him. And if you are here last week, we talked about this. So what, what Paul is doing, he's saying, hey, listen. Back here in Genesis 15, when he's maybe 80, 85, that God told them that you have, you're right with me, you're considered righteous, not because of what you've done, uh, but because of you trusted in me. And he said that if you move over here to Genesis 17, the sign of circumcision, the sign of that relationship didn't happen until maybe 15, 20 years later. So, he's, Paul's point is that obviously Abraham was saved or in right relationship with God, not because he had circumcision. That just wouldn't come for later. And not certainly because he obeyed the law of Moses. That wouldn't come for 400, over 400 years later. That his relationship with God was always based on his trust in God, not his own performance. Are you with me? That's where we've been. So, today, Paul wants to wrap up this case study of the life of Abraham. And he wants to talk a little bit more about his faith and and why he's a model for us. And in the process, we're going to learn some incredible lessons today about faith, what it is, uh, what it isn't, uh, why it's so important in our relationship with God, why it unleashes the power of God, and then how we grow in that faith. And so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to chapter, uh, chapter four. We're gonna start at verse 18, where we left off last week. And so he says, against all hope. All right, so Abraham's 99. Uh, he, and his, he and his wife have never had children, you know? It's not like he's expecting the next day her to come in and say, guess what, you know? So it's against all hope. Abraham in hope. Believed. And so it unleashed this power of God in his life. And so he became, like God said in Genesis 17, the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, and this is a quote from Genesis 15, when he took him outside on the starry night, said, So shall your offspring be. So catch this. Without weakening in his faith, he's 99 years old. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as what? Yeah, from a reproductive standpoint, his body is as good as dead. Uh, and so I, I want you to catch this. One of the things we're going to be talking about today, faith is not wishful thinking. Faith is not uh, sticking our head in the sand, ignoring reality. Faith is full on looking at the facts. And so it, it comes to that. So without weakening his faith, he faced the fact his body was as good as dead. And since he was about 100 years old, I remember he's 99, and that Sarah's womb was also what? Dead. The point is that out of death, God's going to bring life. And uh, so in verse 29, he says, yet, and yet he didn't waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God. But he was, notice he says, he was strengthened in his faith. Now notice the verb tense there we call it the passive tense. He was strengthened. This is significant. We'll come back to it later, but something happened to him. Notice he didn't strengthen himself. He was strengthened in his faith. And he gave glory to God. In other words, it's like, yeah, I know this is impossible. Hey, but the God I serve as a creator, God, he can bring life out of death. He can do this. He gave glory to God. And he was fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And he says, that is why in Genesis 15, it was credited to him as righteousness. That's why he was considered right with God. Not because of his performance, not because circumcision, that came later. Not because he followed the law of God, that wouldn't come before. But because he trusted in God. And he says the words that was credited to him were written not for him alone. That when God inspired that word to be in Genesis fifteen, that that was for a future day. And he says that they were. It was also for us to whom God will credit righteousness to us now as followers of Jesus, for us who believe in Him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So the so the God that that out of the dead body of Abraham and his wife brought life, is the same God that many years later is going to bring life from the dead in his son. And he says, and that's what we're trusting. We're trusting in that God, that same God who brought life from death with Abraham and brought life out of death for us. And he says, who for us believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was, and now he's going to summarize this whole first uh, first, first section of Romans. He says he was delivered. God delivered his son, right? He, God offered up his son over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for our justification. Remember that word that says that we're pronounced, like before the court of heaven, we're pronounced righteous. So This is why Jesus was given in death and raised to life so that, that by our trusting in him, we could be made right with God. Not by our performance, our resume, but by Christ's death, his life for us. Our life. And with that, Paul wraps up the this initial section of Romans. And now we're gonna we're gonna be leaving Romans now. We're gonna be doing the next couple series, you know, it's coming. And then we're gonna come back to chapter five and section two right after Easter. All right. But but for for now, we're gonna we're gonna leave him. But what I wanna do today as we wrap up this first part of the series is I wanna talk about faith. And We're going to learn today what faith is, what faith isn't, uh, why it plays such a pivotal role in our relationship with God, how it releases, why it releases the power of God in our life, and then how do we grow in that faith. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called The Gospel of God, Faith 101. Now, these four principles I'm going to give you, um, we're going to give you four principles and come back with a question, key question at the end. But the four principles are like building blocks. Think of them like building a house of faith. And so each, each principle is going to build on the one that comes before it. So we're going to start with our foundational principle. Very, very straightforward, uh, but very important. Uh, I want to start with the definition of faith. So it goes like this. Faith is trust. Okay, faith is trust. When we talk in the Bible, I think faith can sometimes be a mysterious term. Like, like what do we mean by faith? But faith at its core, is really a better word for us is trust. And you may remember this, but back when we were in the early days of this series, we were in chapter one, we're about, I don't know, seven or eight weeks in, <laughs> and uh, you remember that in chapter one, we came to this, this theme verse of the entire gospel, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of God, because it is what? The power of God for salvation, catch this, to all whom, What? believe, right? And so we, we talked about this. What does it mean to believe? And I, I introduced, I, I brought to you the, the Greek word. The Greek word for faith is the word pistis. And the Greek word for believe is pistuō. It's basically the same word. And what I share with you is that for Jesus, for Abraham, for, uh, for David, uh, for the New Testament writers, the Apostle Paul, that more times than not, almost exclusively, a better translation of the word faith of, of these Greek words would be the word trust. That when, the, when, the New Te- when we talk about believing in Jesus, we're not just talking about like believing certain mental facts about him. It's more than like signing our name on a doctoral statement. It's not about just like, um, like, uh, yeah, do you believe Jesus died for it? Yes. Do you believe that he's the son? Yes. Do you believe he rose from it? Yes. OK, the, the biblical faith is about trust. It's about trusting our life to God. Right? So, so for example, you may remember, if you were here for that message in Romans 1, that I gave the illustration. And I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but just to remind you of uh, Charles Blondine. You may remember he was the French acrobat that in 1859 was the very first person to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. You remember that? And of course, it was a huge deal. And in the coming months and years, he would repeat that feat 16 times and he would do it in more and more difficult ways. Like one time he put a blindfold on and did it and everyone was blown away. Well, one of, the, one of his stunts that he did was to walk a wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls and bring it back. And as you can imagine, remember that crowd was going crazy. And he's like so impressed by this. And so he says, how many you believe that I could put a man in this wheelbarrow and then take it across? And everyone's like, yes. And this one guy particularly loud, absolutely. And he says, okay, how about you? You remember that? And this guy's suddenly like, oh, uh, no, no, no. This is a great illustration of, do you believe I can do it? Yes. Okay, well, will you get in the wheelbarrow? No. This is faith. This is trust. Okay? And so from a biblical point of view, uh, that when we talk about faith, we're talking about trust. And it's trust in a person and that person is God, or that person is Jesus. And so how do you know if you trust? The best way to know whether we trust is whether we listen and follow when he calls us to follow him. Right? The obedience is the best way to know if we truly trust, whether we believe at this level or we're getting in the wheelbarrow with him. This week, um, I think it was on Friday, in my Instagram feed, uh, a, uh, a uh, quote from C.S. Lewis came up. I've got the C.S. Lewis quotes on my coming up. And, and uh, it was a great quote I'd forgotten about. It was too late. You know, we, we published this on Wednesday, your notes. It was too late, but I want to share it with you. It just is so brilliant. It's just so This is like exactly what I'm trying to say. And it's from his book, Mere Christianity. And this is what he says. He says, to have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. Now here, catch this. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. That's what, that's what biblical faith is, Amen. right? That's biblical faith. We, I believe in Jesus. Well, do you, he says, well, no. That's like the guy saying, yeah, I believe you can do it, but I'm not getting in the wheelbarrow, right? So he goes on, he says, thus, if you've really handed yourself over to him, it must follow that you're trying to obey him, all right? So this is ground, ground level. We're going to talk about faith. Ground level is that faith in the biblical sense is trust. It's trusting our life to God. And, that, and if we're truly trusting, then the way we know that is by we listen and follow when he calls us to get into the wheelbarrow. That's how we know. Okay. Number two. The second principle is that faith is not blind, so this is very important because I think in our culture, like when people who are not believers, uh, and sometimes many times this is for believers as well, when we think about faith, what we think is that faith is trusting something in spite of the fact there's no evidence for it, right? Like faith is kind of like putting our fingers in our ears, no, 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 I'm not going to look at the facts, uh, I'm going to put a blindfold, I don't care, the Bible says, it. I'm just going with it, All right. And that's exactly the opposite. And here's what I want to challenge you. Biblical faith is always trust based on the evidence. You see it all through the Bible. Biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. Biblical faith is trust in a person based on the evidence. And you see this in Abraham's life. Um, there in Romans 4, as I put it out in the note, the, on your note sheet, I want you to see this. Abraham wasn't sticking his head in the sand and pretending and just trying to mentally conjure up images of the future and having a son. It says, without weakening in his faith or his trust, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. He was a realist. And since he was about 100 years old, in Sarah's womb, was, was also he he's was, he was, he was a realist. He's looking at facts. But the, real, the reason he was willing to trust God was not because of a lack of evidence, but because of the evidence that he had in his life. So let's talk about this. I think the first kind of evidence that we have when God calls to us, and we're, we're going to talk about this. This is a little bit mystical. It's a little bit subjective, but we're going to start here. I think it's very important is that first, the first kind of evidence we have is the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And so, so what I, here's what I mean, is that uh, this is something we're going to learn in our series on hearing God. But when God speaks to us, there's a self-authenticating quality about it. The voice of God in our life carries authority. And you see this throughout the Bible. We, we experience this even in human relations, right? Have you ever met someone for the first time, and they make a claim, and you believe them? There's something about them that you sense intuitively, this person can be trusted. There's other people, you meet them the first time, and they make a claim, and you're like, oh, I don't buy that. And you don't say that, right? You say, oh, really? That's really interesting, right? <laughs> You don't say, you're full of what, no. You know, I mean, baloney. Uh, I had to fill it in for you. Some of you were going the wrong place. No, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, if I didn't say it, you'd think I'm doing it. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, like, we sense that intuitively, don't we? Like, God's kind of built a truth meter in us. And here's what, when God speaks, there's a self-authenticating quality about it. And so when God first appears to Abraham, he's 75, and he says, here's why I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave this. I I believe there's a self-authenticating that he senses that's true. And this plays an important part in our walk with God, too. That oftentimes we know things not just rationally, we know them supra-rationally. Like we know them directly, intuitively by the power of the Holy Spirit. But, but that's not the only kind of evidence, right? That's sort of a subjective evidence. It's not the only kind of evidence. that what, One kind of evidence that Abraham was going to have is that when God comes to him in chapter 15 and says, your, your children me are like the stars, remember when God first came to him, God had made him many different promises. He had promised if you leave your homeland, you go into this new country you've never been before where there's lots of danger, I will protect you and I will bless you. And if you read what happens after the beginning of chapter 12, you read the finish of chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 40, you're going to see that. You're going to see how God has time and time again protected him, how time time and time again God has blessed him. He's become a very wealthy man. And so he has his own life experience to go on. And this is the same is true in our life, is that we walk with Jesus, we go through life, we take these steps of faith, God comes through, that our faith grows, doesn't it? It's like we've seen him come through for us. And so, so faith is not just based on <laughs> a lack of, uh, it's, not, it's not believing in spite of no evidence, it's trust in a personal God based on the evidence we have. I think as believers of us, even as you look at this chapter and Paul's talking about our confidence in Christ, the raising from the dead, you know, it's as as believers that there are many reasons we believe in God. There are many reasons we believe in the Bible. There are many reasons we believe in Jesus. Sometimes some of those are direct. They're the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, opening our eyes, but it's also fact-based. It's awful. This is why we do apologetic series, like, why do you believe the Bible is the word of God? There's a lot of reasons, but there's a lot of evidence for that. Why do we believe there's a creator? Well, there's a lot of evidence for that. Why do we believe in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead? Because of the historical evidence for that. See, that faith is not believing in, in, without, uh, without any evidence. It's trusting in God based on the evidence. And so, so faith is not like a blind leap in the dark. Number three, Faith unleashes the power of God. I don't know, even if you're new at this, you're just, you're just checking out Jesus and Christianity, even if you're new, chances are you've, you've come to understand that for some reason that faith plays an important part in our relationship with God. We see it today. You see it all through the Bible. You see within the ministry of Jesus, he was constantly saying things like, hey, be it done to you because of your faith, or he couldn't do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. You, you see this connection between faith and the power of God in our life, right? And I don't know if you've ever wondered about, like, why is that? I think sometimes we just say, well, I don't know why. It seems to be matter to God. Who cares? It just, okay, that just matters, right? But I think it's, it's, that's not the way it is. Is that faith is key to our relationship with God because catch this, faith is critical for any relationship we're in. Stop and think with me, trust is the currency of relationship. We, the level of your relationship with anyone is always gonna be, it can never go deeper than your level of trust in that person. The level of trust is gonna determine the level of relationship. Are you with me on this? And that's exactly the same with, with God. Let's take a next step. If that person you're in relationship with has certain capacities, certain gifts, certain skills, you're only able to tap into those gifts to the extent that you trust them. Like, let me give you an example. Uh, you, may be, uh, you may be a young adult and you're trying to figure out your financial future and you're trying to make decisions about college and career and things like that. And you have a father who's very gifted financially. Uh, he's got all this wisdom about how finances work and all this thing. But if you're the child, if you're the son or the daughter, you can only tap into that wisdom to the extent that you trust them, right? Like if you don't trust him, you don't trust that he's looking out for you, or looking out for your best, or he's gonna, well, then that, all his wisdom is gonna do you no good at all. Let me give you another illustration. Let's say that I have a friend who's a neurosurgeon, all right? So here's my friend. And he's a gifted neurosurgeon, and has a great reputation. And I find out next week I go to the I'm going to find out that I've got a a a mass in my brain, and unless surgery is done immediately, this is life threatening. Well, what good is my friend to me? Well, it depends. If you were to ask me, do you believe that he's a great surgeon, great nurse? Yes. Okay. Are you willing to trust your life to him and go under the knife and let him operate? that's a different question. You see what? He could be, have all the power and skill that I need, but until I trust him, I can't access that. Are you with me? So this is how our relationship with God is. Stop and think with me. This is the core problem of the human race. This is the core issue of, this is why faith or trust is so central to our story, because this is where we went wrong as a race. Way back so long ago, the garden, we decided God can't be trusted. We listened to the great enemy who said, he's not for you, he's against you. He's not protecting you, he's restricting you. If you want to be truly wise, if you want to be like God, you need to listen to me, follow me, disobey him, and, I, and you will get what you want. This was the core rebellion of our race. A distrust of the creator in spite of all the evidence to the contrary, and a trust in the evil one. And so when you and I are born, we have this natural distrust of our Creator. So here is God able to save, yes, able to forgive, yes. He's able to do the impossible, he's able to pronounce the guilty righteous. And we're over here like, no, 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 no. I'm going to figure out how to make myself righteous. This is the message of the gospel. God can solve the problem, but only if we trust him. Are you with me? And this is true in every area of our life. Let's say your marriage is on the rocks. Well, God can solve that, but only if you trust him. Only if you come under his leadership. Only if you listen to his advice, you see? See, he's like the neurosurgeon. He can solve your problem, but not when you're over here saying, yeah, I know, I said you're great, but I'm not really. See, this is why faith is so incredibly important. It's not some mystical thing. It's just a matter of trust. God can solve issues, but only when we trust him, just like any other relationship. And catch this, what happens as we grow is the more we trust him with more areas of our life, then that area of our life, we begin to experience the presence and the power of God. Right? So, so if you like, well, I'm going to handle my own finances. All right. Well, I'm going to handle my own sexuality. All right. Well, I'm going to handle my own relationships. I'm going to do them my way. All right but you're not going to experience the presence and power of God. It's not until we come under his leadership and we trust him that we begin to experience the presence and power of God in that area of our life. Does that make sense? So it's not some big mystery. It's like faith is not some big, it's just an issue of trust. Do you trust him or not? And if you do, then you're going to experience his presence and power in that area of your life. If you don't, you won't just like any other relationship, right? Now, number four. So number four is that faith grows when it's stretched. And I really debated here whether to go with the word stretched or the word tested. So you might want to just put in parentheses, tested. Tested. But the point is, is that, so let's, let's stop and see where we've gone. We've kind of built this house, right? So foundation is that faith is trust, It's trust in a person. And the way we know if we trust him, do we listen and follow? When he speaks through his word, through his spirit, do we, do we listen and follow? That trust isn't a blind step of faith. It's, 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 a, it's a step of trust based on the evidence we have uh, that indicates that's a wise decision. Um, and that the faith then that releases the power of God in our life, um, and so it leads to a question, and so, well, how do we grow in faith? And one of the answers, there's more than one, one of the answers is that faith grows when it's stretched or when it's tested. Now, this is very counterintuitive, and I want to give you an illustration to help you kind of picture this um, that if you've ever worked out, or you've ever watched someone work out, or if you've ever read about working out, or you've heard about working out, <laughs> chances are that you'll know this principle, all right? So a ba- very basic principle, is that if you want to get stronger, you need to work your muscles to the point of exhaustion. And so you work to the point of exhaustion, and at that point, you feel incredibly weak. But the reality is when you come back two days later, you're actually stronger. And this is how faith works. For faith to grow, it has to be stretched. It has to be tested. And when we're in the middle of the test, it can feel like our faith is growing weaker than ever. Like, I don't know how much longer I can do this. I I don't know how much I can hold this bar up, right? But the reality is when we come back and we listen and follow and that and God, like, stretches our faith to the limit. and We feel like, man, this is, I don't know if I can keep trusting. The reality is, we come back, it's stronger than ever. It's just the way faith works. We see this in Romans 4. This is an interesting statement that Paul makes about how, how um, Abraham's faith was strengthened or grow. And honestly, I'm, I'm not sure if we know exactly what Paul means here. There's different theories. But I want to point out something. In your note, it says, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise. Now, I guess that could mean he never had a doubt pass through his mind in 25 years. I doubt that's the case, right? It's not the way we are as human beings. And uh, we know about Ishmael that, you know, about when he's about 85, he's getting tired of waiting. So he comes up with this plan B to help God out that really causes a lot of problems, right? So, so anyway, he says, but, but in terms of his core convictions, at least, he's trusting God, that God is going to do this. But 25 years, that's a long time. It's like your faith is being stretched, isn't it? And I, my, my guess is there are times where he's like, oh, this is a struggle to continue holding on the promise. And so I can't prove that, but that's my guess. But what I want to point out is what's said next. It says that during this time <laughs> that he was strengthened in his faith, Now, this is interesting because we don't know this for sure, but biblical authors often use the passive tense of verbs, and we we call it a divine passive. It's a passive tense when what they're really saying is God acted. Okay, So it doesn't say, notice it doesn't say that Abraham strengthened his own faith. It says that his faith was strengthened. They're like, 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 God is strengthening. But whether, whether that's true or not, um, I, I think that you see this throughout the Bible. I certainly experienced this in my life. Maybe you've experienced it in yours where, where God is calling you to take a step. Maybe he's calling you to leave one career and step into another. It's very, it's very frightening. He's, he's, calling you to, um, he's calling you to leave California, right? And it's, like, it's kind of moved to, uh, let's just say, Texas, right? And, and so and it's a big step of faith. And for those of you who've done that, I know some of it was a good decision, some of was a bad decision. But anyway, um, but he's calling you to do that, or he's calling you to maybe to start a family. And you don't know how we can afford this. Like, can we really afford this? Um, and whatever it is, you sense the Holy Spirit calling you to take a step, and it's, 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 it's full of fear. There's a lot of fear there. Well, if you've ever been in a situation, you know there's this battle that goes on, isn't it? There's a battle between fear and doubt. But if you've gone through that, what you find is you go through that stretching process, you come out the other side as you see God work and your faith is stronger than ever. This is how it works. And so when our faith is stretched, our, it grows. Our trust grows and this not only releases the presence and power of God in our life, but catches, it leads to a new level of relationship with God, because our trust has been deepened. And because that trust is deepened, it leads to a new level of peace and a new level of joy and a new level of confidence. You know, one of the passages has meant a lot to me this last year is that there's a passage in Mark chapter 4, and it's a passage that's meant so much I just kind of memorized it, want to meditate on it often, especially during times of fear. And it's a, it's a beautiful passage where, where Jesus has been teaching all day, healing all day. He's exhausted. And so he and his men are going to get in one of their little boats, their small boats, and, and they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And when this happens, uh, you know, often the Sea of Galilee, because of the geography, that high winds can come up and they can create very stormy, dangerous situations on the sea. And this is what happened. And so a storm comes up. It's, I don't think it's a rainstorm from, from the description. It sounds like uh, the, the term is like a hurricane's kind of wind. And so this wind is coming up. And so I want you to, you know, use your imagination here. If you've ever been on the ocean, this happened. It's like big wind, you know, big waves are coming up and they're coming up so powerfully, they're now coming over into the boat, and this is going on so long that the boat is starting to fill up. And Jesus' men are freaking out, understandably. I I would have been right with them. They're bailing, they're doing whatever. And all of a sudden, they look back, and I love this, Jesus is asleep. And Mark is very descriptive. He's He's in the stern, he's he's asleep on a pillow. And as I visualize, this is crazy. Water is coming over. If you've ever been in a small boat, you know how this is, when water starts getting in the boat, your feet get wet, right? It's like, you're there, water's coming to the edge, it's filling up, they're bailing like crazy, I'm sure they're yelling at each other, you know? And he's back there. (laughs) Clothes soaked. (laughs) and so they decide to wake jesus up because they're desperate they've done everything they know what to do they're about to die they're going to wake him up and you can hear how mad they are they're like teacher this is what i literally said don't you care that we're being destroyed this is kind of like you know how lots of times people look at like spiritual like pastors or rabbis Like, you're really wise spiritually, but when it comes to real life, you're worthless. You know what I'm saying? You're like, what are you doing? And so Jesus wakes up. He gets up, and he just commands the wind to stop. And I love this. In the Greek, it just says silence. It's kind of like, shut up. It goes like this. He gives two commands. Siopo. Hephemoso. That's it. And the wind's like, and the waves, and the disciples' eyes. And now they're more afraid of Jesus. (laughs) And this is what he says to them. He says, why are you so cowardly? I love that word. Why are you so cowardly? He says, do you still not have faith? You still don't trust me? And it says they turned to one another and they said, who is this who commands the winds and the sea? Scared to death. But I love that scene because remember what Jesus said later in his life on the night that he was arrested? He said to his men, he said, I have a gift to leave you. He's about to be arrested. I have a gift to leave you. He said, my peace, I leave with you. not as the world gives, I give to you. When I see that scene in the boat, I go, Jesus, there's his peace. Michael, here's my reaction to storms. And here's what I want you to catch. When God takes us through times where he's stretching our faith, he's not doing it just to irritate us. He's doing it because the more we trust him, our peace goes up in life. That's his peace. That's what he wants us to have. Let me ask you, like, what are you worried about today? What are you anxious about today? I don't believe that's what God has for you. But in order... For our anxiety to go down, our trust has to go up. And this is how it happens. Our trust goes up as God takes us through situations where it's hard to trust him, hard to obey, but we listen and we follow and we watch God work and our trust increases. And as our trust increases, our peace, our confidence and our joy increases. So it's interesting, you see this over the course of Abraham's life, and the greatest test of his life is going to come many years later. It's an incredible account. We don't have time to go into all the details, but, but we're going to fast forward now. So, so now Isaac has been born, and Isaac has grown up. We don't know exactly how old he is, and in Hebrew, it says he's a lad. So I don't know if that means, you know, eight, 16. He's not fully, he's not a man yet, right? But but um, so, so God comes to Abraham and he's going to test him. He's going to stretch his faith. In fact, there in your note sheet, Genesis 22, it's how the passage starts. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He's going to test his trust. And It's an incredible story. It takes us back to the story we started the day with about this man who receives this assignment that's incredibly surprising and severe. He's not going to trust anyone on his team with it. It's going to be on a need-to-know basis. And this is my version of account in Genesis 22 where God comes to Abram and he says, I want you to take it. I want you to catch this language now, okay? I want you to take your son your only son, the son that you love. And I want you to take him to a specific location. I want you to go to the land of Moriah, and I'll show you there a mountain. And I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, this is an incredible test of trust, But there's more here than meets the eye because God had made it very clear that this promise that one day Abraham will be the father of a great nation, God had made it very clear that that promise was going to be fulfilled through Isaac. So when he says to go and sacrifice your son, it's not only this incredible test that's obvious on the surface, but it's this is the one through whom the promise, this is, I waited 25 years for this boy. Now this boy is 12, 15, whatever he is. God has come through. He did the impossible. He brought life out of death. And now God's calling me to take this son through whom the rest of the promise is going to be fulfilled and sacrifice it. But what's incredible is that Abraham's trust in God has grown to the place where, hey, if God can bring life out of death, he can give me my son back from the dead. And we're told that when he gets there to the foot of the mountain, I want you to see what he says to the the servants who are with them, the rest of their team. He says, he said to the servants, stay here with the donkey. So they still know what's going on. While I and the boy go over there, kind of up the mountain, he says, we will worship and then what? We will come back. This is incredible. We know from the account that what happens when they go up on the mountain is that he's serious about this. He's got the knife raised before God stops him. So he's absolutely clear as he's heading up the mountain, what he's going to do. And yet he says, we will return. Is that not incredible? That he's come to a place where he trusts God who can bring life out of death so much. Like, well, if he could bring life out of death in our bodies, he could bring them back to bed. This is what he said to do. It's incredible. And you know, it's really interesting because in our lives, there's, some, there's times where God is going to call us to an act of faith, an act of obedience, that we cannot see the long-range implications of this decision. And you see that here in this account, because we know that when Abraham goes up there. Then on the way up, Isaac says, hey, dad, I see the wood. I see the fire, but, but where's the lamb? And here's what Abraham said. God himself will provide the lamb. And then after he's ready to take the life of his son, the knife is raised, an angel stops him, and God had provided. There in a nearby thicket was a ram caught and his horns and And he was able to sacrifice. And so we're told that from that point on, there was a saying in Israel that on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. So let's fast forward a 1,000 years from that step of trust. A 1,000 years from now, we'll be in the time of the kings. And God is going to tell Solomon, it's time to build a temple where I will dwell with you. And he says, here's where you're to build it. You're to build it on Mount Moriah on that place. And let's fast forward another thousand years. And the son of God will come. And right outside the city of Jerusalem, right outside the temple, that son will be given. And I want you to think about this. Take your son, your only son, the son that you love. God himself will provide the lamb. That's Romans 1 through 4. On the mountain of the Lord it shall be provided. There's a way. When God called Abraham to do that it wasn't random. And when God calls you and I to take a new step of faith, a new step of obedience, it's not random. Often we don't see the implications long-term of what's going to happen as a result of that step. Craig Keener, one of my favorite New Testament scholars, on one of his blogs about the life of Abraham, he says, you know, we rightly think of Abraham as our ancestor in faith, but his faith began small. Remember the whole point of this point is that our faith grows as it's tested. We see that in the life of Abraham. He says, this faith um, he says that, uh, but his faith began small, just like ours. The faith necessary for God to count him righteous. Now, remember that's Genesis 15, uh, where he took him outside and saw the stars. He says that faith was much less than the extraordinary faith Demonstrated when he offered up Isaac years later. We just talked about that. Abraham's faith, like ours, grew over the years. Catch this, it was not something he worked up by the strength of his own will or by fertile imagination, just positive thinking. It grew in response to witnessing God's faithfulness over the years, it was based on the evidence. And he learned increasingly, more deeply, that God can be trusted. Faith is trust. God is trusted. And he learned this because he had a relationship with God where God spoke clearly and Abraham obeyed fully. And when this is how our faith grows, this is how our trust grows, it's when it's tested. When he calls us to get out of the boat, out in the water, the area of obedience, the step of risk, we listen, we follow, our faith grows. And as our trusting grows, we begin to experience the presence and the power of God in our life in new ways and a new confidence in God that leads to a whole new, new peace, new joy, new confidence. That's why he's calling us to step out. And so all this leads to one important question. And the question is there on your note sheet, the gospel of God, one key question. The question is, as we, as, we, as we wrap up 2023, as we get ready for 2024, the question is, what is your next step of faith? We've seen today that, that faith is trust, that, that trust has to do with listening and following when the God is calling us for his word or his spirit. And this is faith that releases the power of God, it, but, it, but it only grows as we step out and trust him. And, and so this helps us understand why God is always calling us to take new steps of faith, because this is how our faith grows. It's how our experience of his presence and power, his peace grow in our life. And so the question is, we, we come to the end of this year, we end, in the, like, is there a next step of faith God's calling you to? And I really mean that. I mean, as we go, it's the Holy Spirit calling you to a new step of faith, a new step of obedience in some area. You know, one of the beautiful things is as followers of Jesus, we don't have to orchestrate our own growth. We just have to respond to God's orchestration. He's, he's the conductor of our growth, right? We just have to, to watch the conductor. So we don't have to like conjure up faith tests like god will do that he'll bring us and so there may be right now for you there may be a week from now it may be two weeks from now maybe this message is for the start of the year you may know what the step is now it may not come till later but but is there a step of faith that god's asking you You say Well, what would that look like it can look like so many things be big or small like for some of you, maybe you're here today, it's the weekend before Christmas, and this is what you do the weekend before Christmas. You come to church. It's, maybe you're online and you're just kind of checking it out or something. And, and with the Holy Spirit, what God's calling you to do is that, hey, church should no longer be something that you just occasionally go to. That if you want a real relationship with God, you want to grow, you, you need to be in a place with other believers, with worshiping, where you're Mean, taught the word, and and so that's your step of faith. It's it's to it's to stop this coming when you feel like it, and make this a priority in your life. For others of you, maybe the next step is similar, but it's, it's your step is to join one of our life groups for the new year. That maybe you're, you've been regular here at church. Um, that's kind of you've kind of got that pattern down, but you've never really gone to the next level and and join with some believers on this journey. You know, we're going in this new series uh, in January, eventually in the middle of January, about hearing God. And like, what a great series it's going to be to, like, to, to grow together. Maybe this is what he's calling. Maybe it's, it's your one-on-one relationship. You know, to grow and to change, we really need to develop that, that priority in life, our one-on-one time with God where we can speak and we can listen. And, and maybe that's the step. Maybe for you, it's a step of obedience in some areas of your life. Maybe you're single and you're dating, but you're dating a non-believer, and the Holy Spirit's been telling you forever, this is not trusting me. And you just keep on making excuses, and you're just wasting your time and wasting your life. This is not going to end well. You know, maybe it's an area of your sexuality. Maybe it's an area of sexual purity. Maybe it's an area of pornography. Maybe it's same-sex relationships. Maybe it's gender confusion. But, but the Holy Spirit is saying, "Hey, I know what the world is telling you, but you need to trust me. You need to listen and, follow, and that. And this gonna be a huge step of faith for you to surrender your life and your sexuality to God. Maybe it's gonna be in the of, area of finances. Maybe this is the year. You know, Jesus was so clear that God, we cannot serve God in money. Like there, there has to be one Lord over our life and. And the Holy Spirit's been calling you to surrender your finances in every area. Maybe it's in the area of your financial giving to his kingdom. And that's, this needs to be surrendered. It's a step of faith. Maybe it's in how you approach your relationships. Maybe it's how you approach your, your marriage or your parenting. Maybe it's in an area of service, your ministry. Maybe it's a career move. Maybe it's something about some kind of other major decision in your life. But the question is, what... Is the Holy Spirit calling you? And is there something that that you have been afraid to do and the Holy Spirit's calling you to do? What we see today is that faith is trust. Trust is measured by when God is speaking through his word, through his spirit. Do we listen and follow or not? Faith is not based on a lack of evidence is based on the evidence that God has provided for us. It's his faith, his trust that releases the power of God that changes our life. And the way it grows is when we listen and follow when he's leading. And so what is the next step of trust in your life? Amen? Amen, let's pray. So Lord, we come today, we thank you for our brother Abraham both the father and brother, father of us all. And father, for this incredible model of this man who was made right with you, not from all his righteous acts, but because he trusted you and he listened and he followed and and his faith was credited to his righteousness. And he becomes a model for us that our our faith is credited. While While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe your next step is to give your life to Jesus. That throughout this series or throughout this message, you've come to realize that you are in rebellion against God. You are under the wrath. You're under his condemnation. But the beautiful thing is that God has provided a Messiah to come and die for you so that you can come home and be forgiven and so you can receive the gift of his spirit, start this new life. Maybe today is your day to invite Jesus in, but whatever it is, Father, help us that you would to take that step, to get out of the boat, to walk on the water and to discover how big you are, for our confidence in you to grow, for our trust to grow, our anxieties to diminish as we see that whatever the situation in our life, you're asleep in the boat, you're not afraid and you invite us to step into your peace and we pray this in your name, amen.